Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Uh, my name is Danny and I am one of the pastors here. I'm going to be sharing with you today. If you're new, I want to welcome you. Thanks for coming to Kesset. We are a uh, a church on our way out of this building. We are, uh, we're hoping to be in our brand new building downtown. Uh, Easter Sunday is the plan right now, and uh, it, is, it is really moving along. We're going to do a uh, Pastor Tom update in the next few weeks, and uh, also probably give you guys a couple preview images of how the inside is turning out. I want to thank everybody that's been volunteering, uh, everybody that's been plugging away down there. We still are continuing to need help, uh, so if you're interested, write on the communication card. Let us know and we'll get your name and information and uh, maybe what you would like to do to the folks that are, that are leading that. But uh, a lot of really good stuff happening. Uh, also this week, we, uh, we moved the staff into our corporate offices. Uh, some people know this. We're going to have offices at the new building. But because there's only so much square footage, uh, most of the uh, space down there will be used for uh, ministry space, for children's rooms, for Bible study rooms, for uh, for our rooted classrooms, our emotionally healthy spirituality classrooms. So there will be staff down there. There will be office space down there. But we have uh, too many staff for that building and the ministry space. So we ended up finding some really, really beautiful space uh, for, for a really great price because some, somebody in our church helped us out. And uh, I want to give you a picture of it. It's right across from the Heathman Lodge, kind of over by the mall. This is our community room. Uh, those of you who meet with us, you'll end up seeing a lot of this. This is our boardroom. Uh, which is pretty awesome. And this is the other side of our community room. We share this space with uh, another entity, and so uh, that worked out really well. This is all of the Kessid staff uh, work areas. It's pretty cool. All these desks raise and lower. So, so now if, like, if Pastor Keith's legs fall asleep, you know, we, can, we, can raise the, we can raise the desk up to here. Or Monty, if you ever, <laughs> Monty can like swing from the desk <laughs> if she wants to. It's really fun. But, uh, and then a couple more offices. This is my space that I have there, and then Pastor Tom has a space. And so, uh, yeah, it's really cool. We, ha- we have some really, really, we're really excited about it. Yeah, let's, let, we're excited. Why not? Uh, and, and it's a blessing, and we need it, and it allows us all to be together, but it actually segues really well into what we're going to talk about today. It, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work to, to do what we do normally for church, to uh, focus on our downtown project, and then to also organize an entire move and get everybody set up. It was just a lot of work. And so at the end of the week, I was able to sort of step back and look at everything, and I felt pretty good about it. Uh, and I realized partway through the week, that's what I wanted to talk about this week. I wanted to talk about what it meant to be grateful for work, and not just this work, not just the work of actually going to your job or, or lifting things or organizing things, but also uh, other work. This week, uh, in the midst of all this other stuff, uh, my wife and I were talking about something earlier in the week that, that we didn't really agree on, and then a few days later it came up again, and, and we still really didn't agree on it. And then this morning, which is never a good option for me, uh, it got brought up again. It may have been me that brought it up, uh, and we really didn't agree on it all the way to church this morning. And I kept telling her as I was trying to convince her that I was right, that uh, I have to preach in a little bit and I I need to be in a good space. And this is why you just need to agree that I'm right. (laughs) And it did not go well, which made me feel like she didn't care about any of you. That's what it made me feel like. (laughs) But that's just me. 
it could be that, that maybe I'm not right. We don't know because it has to continue on. I will let you know, though. But uh, you know what it helped me realize, though, is this, that, that we often think of work only as, as, as the physical stuff or the stuff we go and do. We don't, we don't often realize how much work it takes to, to have a healthy marriage, to have a healthy relationship with our kids and with our friends and with the people that, that we do life with. It's work. And many times I have seen families fall apart, not because the, the parents um, didn't love each other, not because the children didn't want to be apart, but because no one was willing to do the work, if I could be honest. They weren't willing to ask the, the difficult questions, not about the other person, but about themselves. To do, that, to do that health, that emotional health work where they could stop and, and really spend time looking inside their own mirror about them and the decisions they've made. Uh, I, you, you can see this generally in the track record of how well uh, people overcome obstacles. Many times people will break up one relationship only to go and find themselves in another relationship that's very similar. Similar codependency, similar dominance issues, similar control issues, similar jealous issues. And the, the pattern just continues, not because this person can only find partners that are jealous or only find partners that are codependent or only f- run in a friend group of, of addicts. It's because this person continues to be drawn to the people that meet the needs they have not met within themselves. They don't do the work here. And so they try to have other people in their lives complete the stuff that goes on inside of them, and it never works. It, it ends up in broken relationships and broken families. It ends up sometimes even in broken churches because, let me tell you, I'll go first, and I think I have in many cases, pastors need to do as much work as anybody. They need to ask ugly questions as much as anybody. You know, if you're not careful, you can get real caught up in people shaking your hand in the back and saying, hey, that was a great sermon. It really helped me. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Well, if my whole week was based on 15 handshakes and 15 compliments, then I'd never have to ask any questions about anything. But I'm going to tell you something right now. My wife doesn't care how good my sermons are. <laughs> it's a true story. She doesn't care at all. Not a bit. And I, part of me is like, you should care. And she's like, well, I love the church. But the reality is, I care how you talk to me, not how you talk to all of them. And I was like, that is selfish. <laughs> Just going to leave it at that. Because I didn't have a better argument or comeback other than that was selfish. But I, I think she's right. I think the idea is we, we try to take these areas and we try to spill them into to each other when really oftentimes you have to do the work. You can be an incredibly gifted businessman but completely let your health go. You can be someone who, who can't hold a job or, or just can't seem to work on a team, but you can be as fit as they come. Isn't that interesting? It's because there's areas in your life oftentimes that require work you're not willing to do. And one of those areas that's very, very important is your spiritual life. Spiritual life is work. People think you get saved and it's like a quarter went in the machine or you got an inoculation, you're good to go. Let's get our sin on, right? I'm immune, going to heaven no matter what. The reality is that that's not how it's supposed to be. The Bible talks about salvation as a transformation. It talks about the work. That's what we're gonna talk about today. It talks about committing yourself. To, to not just the jobs at hand, but to the jobs inside yourself and how you see yourself and how you see this world and, of course, how you see your God. Amen? Amen. Let me put up a verse. This is the primary verse we're going to sit around today. It's Proverbs 16.3, and this is what it says. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. 
This is a fascinating verse because a lot of people have, uh, have built a very broken theology just based on this verse and a few others that are, that are similar. And what they think is basically this. Hey, if I, if I do whatever I'm doing and say it's for God, then God will bless it. So whatever I do, whether it's good or bad, whether it's helpful or not, whether I'm even supposed to do it, as long as I say it's for God, God will bless it. Well, let me just tell you as a guy who does a little bit of coaching with ministry people, that is clearly not true because I know a lot of pastors with failing churches, with broken communities, with broken marriages, and their whole lives, including their education, were built around living a life fully focused on God. And yet I think you might realize right now the average church inside the United States is 82 people. 82 people is the average size church in the United States right now. And, and if that pastor was doing everything he was doing for God, which I think there's a lot of wonderful small churches, and the pastor is doing things for God, the broken theology says if his church isn't big enough, then God clearly hasn't established him. And that's untrue. It's not a healthy way to look at it. So let's unpack it and look at it as it should be seen. Uh, this wonderful verse speaks of our responsibility to serve God with our work and the result of discharging our duty faithfully. So look at the first part of the verse. Commit your work to the Lord. Just this alone needs to be understood. Uh, a better way to kind of see this would be this, through this idea of stewardship. Uh, the verb commit in Hebrew literally means to roll. And it's a little confusing at first because you're like, okay, so if I commit to something, commit my work to God, I roll my work to God. Well, there's another verse, another passage that gives you a little bit of insight into what the Hebrews were thinking when they were thinking about what it meant to roll their work to something. It's a quiet little passage in Genesis 29, but we always use scripture to translate scripture, right? You don't use people or even theologians to translate scripture. If you come across a scripture and it's, and it, it's there, it's there for a reason. The Holy Spirit allowed it. And the best way to try to understand it is to look at other scripture. That helps explain it. And this passage is a wonderful, wonderful example. Genesis 29.3. It's talking about shepherds watering their flocks. And it says, And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. And then they would put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So in this culture, to work, okay, was to care for something, was to commit yourself to something. And this commitment meant a rolling of responsibility because if you're a shepherd and you need to water your sheep, sheep are curious creatures and the Bible uses them all the time to represent us. They get into trouble. I mean, I can't tell you how many Facebook videos you can find of sheep stuck in swings and stuck in holes. And I mean, they, find, they get stuck in anything they can. They're like, that's a small hole. I'm going to go get stuck in it. It's, it's just they get in situations like you and I. And as shepherds, they need water. They need life like you and I. And so a shepherd would go and he would commit to Watering his sheep by rolling the stone that protected the well and giving water, giving life to the sheep. But then he would have to go back because the work wasn't completed. He had to commit to the process to then go back to the other side and roll the stone back on the well. Frankly, because the sheep would jump into the well and kill themselves. So his helping of them would actually damage them unless he committed to the entire process. Clearly, the sheep needed access to the water, but also protection from what falling in would do to them. And that's why you commit 
to the work of God, you don't just get to roll it off and water people and, and preach and share. Everybody wants to be in ministry and, and do the pretty stuff, what they view as the pretty stuff, the preaching and the singing and the teaching. But the reality is this is only 35 minutes uh, twice a weekend of my entire week. There is a whole other level of caring for people, and I think we can talk about that in relation to every parent in this room. Everybody, you know, before I had children, I would see people with children, uh, and they would carry them, and they were pretty and clean and, and happy, and, and you'd be like, she's so cute, oh, I want a baby so bad, and you'll see young folks around here sometimes. I heard someone just last week, oh, I have baby fever so bad, and they had no children, this young couple, and I thought, you just wait. You can dress them up. You can clean them up. But, but there's a whole other element of that commitment. You can roll the water off and feed them, but you got to roll that back on and, and, and continue to commit to that process. And that's exactly what that first part of the verse means. We are called to commit, uh, commit our work to the Lord. We are called to commit it to him in all of its aspects, not just uncovering and watering, but protecting and leading and sharing and committing. Think about that in relation to all you do, not just going to work, Okay, which I think, by the way, a lot of people misunderstand. We go to work and think we're working for a boss. According to the Bible, we go to work and work unto the Lord. We go to work and we, we, what we do brings glory to God because we do it as we're being asked to do it. And we're integrous and we're authentic and we have uh, uh, relationships there. And that's an important thing. So for everybody in here who's stuck in a job that they don't love, I just want to, I just want to hurt with you. I've been there. Uh, I've been in really difficult situations, even difficult ministry situations where I was guilty because I thought I was supposed to be there. And, and, and for the season that God was revealing himself to me, uh, I was. And it was hard. And I continued to try to get out of it any way I could. But God continued to just ask me to commit my work to him and to be fully present in everything that I was doing. So that was a little sidebar. That was free for... Everybody that I could tell when I said, work to the Lord in the whole, t about 50 of you went, <sighs> you can't see the eye rolls up here, but I can. So sometimes you got to preach to the eye rolls, okay? And that's what that was. That's what that was. So you commit your work to the Lord. You, you roll your work within all of its responsibilities. And, and that's what you do. You, you then at that point uh, look at the other part of the verse. The Hebrew syntax also reveals this idea that we commit our work to the Lord in order that our plans will be established. In order that our plans will be established. Now, this is where some very broken theology can take off if you're not careful. And again, you look at other verses and other examples, that's how you know what exactly is being taught here. One thing I want you to notice before I do that is the first part. I'll put it up there. Notice we must do the first part if we expect God to fulfill the second part. Notice that we are called to commit our work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You don't wait for God's plans to be established so that you can go to work. Now, that ties to marriages. That ties to your daily jobs. That ties to your children. You don't wait for people to get better before you decide to invest in the relationship. It's not what the Bible says. I'm not trying to doctor fill you. I'm just trying to read scripture. Okay? You dive into relationships because God has called you to dive into the relationships he's called you to have in your life. Some of those are, are forced on you. They're your family. They're people in your world. They're, they're a struggling marriage that, 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 that has developed and changed over the years. Some of these are situations that you have to choose to be a part of. But either way, you don't wait for people to get better before you commit to 
the relationship. You do your part, then God does his part. This means if we completely depend on God in our work, he will establish our plans. That's what it says, and that's what it means. That is, he will bring about our plans or cause our plans to happen. We can expect God to bring our work to fruition in God's way and in God's time when we depend on him and our efforts. And I'm preaching myself into an alley right now completely on purpose. I told you this is messed up, but I'm also telling you why it's messed up. It is saying that exact thing. If you commit, God will bless you. That's what it says. But is that what it means? Exactly as you think It's what it means. This is an important quote. This is an important part of committing our work to God, for it is seeking and following God when our work aligns with his will that success will follow. And here's where we get to look at Scripture and and really unpack what it means to work and commit our plans to God and then expect his blessing, which is what it says. See, we are supposed to commit, roll our work back and forth according to what God has, and we're supposed to dedicate it to God, but we are supposed to also seek and follow God, and then when our work aligns with his will, that success will follow. Here's the best example. I don't know of a better example in scripture to help you understand this than in Joshua 1.8, when Joshua is taken over for Moses who has died, and he's now going to be basically prime minister for the entire nation of Israel, and he doesn't want the job. But God's like, Joshua, you're my man, and he is fearful. And so the whole opening of the book is God's basically telling him to man up in a loving, gentle way. He says, be courageous, be courageous, be courageous, be courageous, right? Man up, woman up, get in front, I got you, I got you. And Joshua doesn't want to do it. And he's like, basically says, I just don't think I'm going to be good at it. And then God says what I'm about to read to you right now. This is one of the only passages in the Bible, in many translations, it is the only passage in the Bible that uses the word success. So when you read an earlier verse that God, if you commit, God will bless you, then you have to go and see, okay, what does blessing mean? Clearly God wants Joshua to be blessed. Clearly God wants, according to this verse, for Joshua to find success. And so this is what he says from God's mouth to Joshua for all of us to hear what success looks like. He's reminding Moses about the book of the law that he gave Moses, the book of behavior, the book of how we treat each other and what basically a written version of what God's will is for this time. It says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful, remember these two words, to do, to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Now, although we can generally expect God's to God to bless our work according to his ways, it doesn't mean that our ways are always what God wants us to work in. So what God says to Joshua is what? He says, I want you to do the things I've asked you to do. I want you to accomplish these things. I want you not to covet. I want you not to murder. I want you not to steal. I want you to rest one day a week. These are the behaviors that God gave through the commandments to Joshua. And then he says, if you do these things, you will find success. So what he's saying to Joshua is this, that obedience equals success. Obedience equals success. And here's the best part. God loves you far more than you love yourself. God has a far better version of your life than you could ever imagine. God wants better things than you want for yourself. God is far more concerned with your well-being than you are, no matter how selfish you are. 
God wants these things in your life. And so what God does is he puts people, okay, maybe even today, in your life to remind you that if you are obedient to God, you will find success. And because you're obedient, then your will and his will will line up. Therefore, you can commit to God to do the things God has lined out for you, and therefore God will make sure the things he's lined out for you, your plans will be established. Most of the time, when people are experiencing massive failure in their lives, especially consistent failure, not situational failure, not, 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 other, not, not the kind of failure that, uh, that results from, uh, from happenstance or these sort of situations, but truly where people make poor decision after poor decision after poor decision is often because they're living in complete disobedience. They're not anywhere near God's will in their life, and so they are not functioning as God wants them to function, and so they are not finding success. This has tripped out a ton of my, my corporate friends, my business friends, because everybody has their, like, define success, define success. I mean, you go on YouTube right now and find 50 people, you know, sitting next to a Lamborghini trying to tell you how to be successful. It's crazy. And here's the thing. If you really want to know what success is, really, truly know what success is, you would go to the Bible in my opinion, and so I have, and so every time I speak at one of those events, every time I sit with one of those people, no matter how much money they make, no matter what car they pulled up in, they'll eventually ask me, Danny, what's success for you? And I don't even blink. I'm like, oh, obedience. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? And I'm like, yeah, no, it's obedience. Success is obedience for me. If I can be obedient to God, my marriage will be the best it could ever be. I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better dad. If I can be obedient to God, the church will be exactly what God wants it to be. Whether it's 80 people or 8,000, doesn't matter to me as long as I'm obedient to God. So see, I've already given up the whole drive and, and uh, desire to accomplish according to what everybody else thinks I'm supposed to do. I, my only thing is how do I get more and more obedient to God? How do I get quieter and quieter while he gets louder and louder? The Bible says, how do I lose and he win? How do I do this? And the way I do it is by committing to his works. And when I commit to God's works, it's like jumping on a train that's already on tracks. You're going where it's going. Like, you can't do anything about it because you're obedient. Suddenly, you're integrous. Suddenly, you're, you're telling the truth. Suddenly, you're being authentic. Suddenly, you're, you're, you're worried about not just other people, but you're worried about yourself, and you're asking questions about yourself. God, what do I do with this pride issue? What do I do with this, with this lust issue? God, what do I do with these things in my life? And you go to Scripture, and God says, this is how I do it. This is what I want you to do. These are my ways, and you commit to his ways, and because you commit to his ways, his plans are established in you, and suddenly the whole world could go to hell in a handbasket. And I'll just be sitting there eating an apple that I got out of the basket because it's all God's church and it's all God's plans and it's all God's ways. And frankly, as long as I do what he wants me to do, I will spend the rest of my life and then the rest of my eternity established because I'm part of his plans. And so are you. So are you. Maybe the best advice I could give you ever when it comes to you making plans is give up. Give them up. Ask God what he wants for you. Start over. Scratch the, the life goals and say, God, is this what you want for me? Is this what you, you created me for? Is this the song I'm supposed to sing? He's the creator of all music, but maybe you're singing the wrong genre. Some of you are R&B, but you've just been singing country your whole life. 
That's why you look so funny in a cowboy hat. <laughs> Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, this is other people's plans. Nor stands in the way of sinners, other people's plans. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers, other people's seats. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Listen to what God's picture of established plans are. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. See, we are seasonally called to help, to serve. There's a season at this church right now. This project is so big and so beautiful. There is no way that, that, that we're going to finish without continued help by volunteers, which, we've, which we have, and continued giving by people that God has blessed with means. There's just no way. And Tom and I sat. We looked at the budget. And we're like, man, God, you're going to have to do some stuff here. And we knew it from the beginning. And we know God will provide because he plants churches and people near streams, and he is the one who brings the seasonal fruit. He is the one that brings the ministry. It's his. We didn't do this. I didn't go down and find this building. You didn't just, just all of a sudden uh, hear of, of, of this thing that happened and, and, and show up, and now you're like, oh, that's interesting. God ordained and orchestrated all of this, and I have believed that fully because I feel like we, the elder board, the staff, and you guys, we're being obedient to what God's doing we're following and we're listening and he's leading and he's providing and that's the church that I want to be. A church that's planted with deep roots, that's able to help and serve and give back and it's going to come from the people just like you and me that God has brought here already because he is the one who establishes his plans and you and I are part of it. Now, although we can generally expect God to bless our work when we operate according to his ways, and in his dependence upon him, this does not mean we will never lose a draw, job or have trouble at work and within our work. Instead, what we can expect is for God to fulfill his promise of Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This means when we commit our ways and our work to the Lord, he will bless our efforts according to his perfect will in ways beyond our understanding. Basically, we should serve the Lord faithfully and then leave the results to him. That's why one of the things here at Kesed for a long time has been this idea that we're going to give it all away. One day we're going to have a service where we give this entire church to the next generation because I know it's weird and kind of different now and churches become very corporate and how it, how it actually functions on Sunday and, and, and it's controlled and we're not going to do that. We're going to walk this thing out till God brings and fills our church with the next generation and the next pastor and the next leadership team and then we're going to give the whole thing away because this is actually how church has been done since the beginning. It's only till recently that it's become something that a group of people owned. And I can prove it. I'm preached to all the scholars now. I got all the eye rollers covered before, but now I'm going to preach to all the scholars. When I was in Germany uh, earlier last year, I was doing some uh, coaching. And uh, they took me to a church in Germany. If you've ever been to Cologne, then you've probably seen the Cologne Cathedral. Uh, this is by far, the, and I've been to some really neat churches, including a lot of churches in Jerusalem. This is by far... Uh, the most profound building, I would say, that I've ever been in. It's the largest Gothic church in Northern Europe. 
and the church's uh, cornerstone was laid uh, in 1248. And this is, this is how I'm going to prove to you that generations of people have been giving away churches and that that's God's plan and always has been because he's the one who establishes it. The uh, cornerstone was laid in 1248, and it was a national event when the church was completed on August 14, 1886. 132 years after construction had begun. This is what the tour guide told me, and she didn't even know we were believers, but I, she certainly was, and she just, she loved this, and she got our group around. We we're sitting right in the middle uh, of this church, and she said, here's the, the beautiful thing I want you to know about this church and the people who built it. 632 years it took to complete. Yeah, we, we knew that. We saw the plaque. She goes, what you don't realize is that the church is as tall below in the foundation as it is above. She said they estimate that four generations, four generations of people pass their trades from son to father, from mother to daughter that built that church. Four generations of people worked on the church for their entire lives and never saw it break the horizon. And you're worried about our building getting into on Easter. <laughs> And I joke because I'm worried too. I'm worried about our building getting into our ministry. That was a nervous laugh. I was like, <laughs> but here's the, here's, the, here's the reality. The reality is these people worked on foundations from generation to generation to generation to generation. How cool would it be to be the generation that actually laid the first stone above the horizon and saw the church being able to be seen by the, by the, the eyes of the people and and this idea, this beautiful spiritual idea that God wants us to build a church for the next generation. And all of those workers, every stone chiseled, every hole dug, all of that was for God's glory and for God's greatness and for God's bigness. All of that was for him. No one applauded them. There was no Facebook like, look at me working at the church today. Look what I did. Oh my gosh, I've put in so much time. And so no plaques on the wall. Nobody even knows their name. But you know who does know their name? The one who established their plans to lay that foundation, who deemed them successful and worthy. And that is their God, their creator, their father. This is what it means to work. This is what it means to praise him. It means to lift our lives beyond what we can see now and lift to give it to that next generation. And it's not just this church. Uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome started in 1506 and wasn't completed till 1626, 120 years it took. The Lost Lajaz Sanctuary in Colombia took 200 years from start to finish, and it's not even that big. It's just very, very detailed. <laughs> One of my favorites is the Salt Cathedral. Also in Colombia, it was started in 1932, finished in 1954. It took 22 years, and even to this day, unless you know somebody who knows where it is, you can't find it. Because it's built 600 feet down inside the tunnels of an old salt mine. Who would spend 22 years to build a church no one could see? Except people who knew we serve a God who can see it all. You see, we work because God works. You can see it in everything he does. You can see it, of course, in his creation. Maybe those workers in that salt mine were thinking of this verse while they were working, Psalm 95, 3 through 5. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. And they were like, we should build a church down there. 
The heights of the mountains are his also, the verse goes on to say. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. You can see that God works in all his creation. Jesus himself mentions he came to work when he was just a child. One day his parents take him to temple to pray, and he disappears. They can't find him anywhere. They end up finding him at church. You know what he's doing? Preaching. He's like 12 years old, and he's preaching. And they go to him. I'd like to think mom grabs him by the back of the neck on those little hairs that hurt a lot. Because, you, you know, Jesus or not, he's still your child, and you lost him for two or three days, and you're going to be anxious to see him, and you want him to know not to do that. And he turns to her, and he says, why is it you've been searching for me? Did you not know that it is my duty to engage upon my father's business? He's like, I got work to do. I got ministry to establish. I'm Jesus. I've got people that I'm committed to, that I'm supposed to help, that I'm supposed to love, that need the water that I provide, for I am the living water. I am the bread of life, and I am committed to their salvation. And if you have any doubt at all that the Bible wants you to know that God works, then I just want you to think about that earlier passage that I said regarding the idea of commitment, and it has to do with rolling the stone off of access to life and then bringing the stone back to cover danger from the access to that life. And then I want you to think, of a few days after Jesus was crucified, this stone that was covering his tomb. And the Bible says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And there's this beautiful picture of the completion of our God's commitment because it was him and him alone that rolled the stone away for all humanity, for all time, so that we could have full access to the living water that is his presence. And guess what, folks? The stone never rolled back because God's Love for you was displayed through the, and you've heard it before, and I hope you never hear it the same way again, the work of the cross. The work of Jesus Christ rolled the, through his commitment the, the stone away and gave access to the water, gave access to the life, and forever changed how we see our God. And people for generations and generations and generations have discovered this, and it has caused within them this beautiful response because they wanted to respond to God's greatness, and so they went to work. They went to work on their marriages. They went to work in their churches. They went to work to be better fathers, to be better people, to be better children of the great God that they serve. And because they did that, God established their plans because they were obedient as a result of the greatness they saw in him. All because of his work. God is working right now in your life. He's working. He's been working. And I hope today it's this close to your face and I hope you're bothered more than ever by it. Because he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to take serious his commands the way that he wants you to live. And if you can do that, then you will be obedient. And if you're obedient, then your ways will be established. And if your ways are established, then you will find success in him. And all you'll do with that success is pour it back out into the greatness that is God and work more. And you won't care who sees what. You won't care who, care, who gives what. You won't care what credit. You won't care anything else other than God. You are great. You are mighty. And I want to, I am so privileged because of the work of the cross and the plans you've established in me that any success I get, any hope I get of being a better Danny, a better husband, a better dad, a better employee, a better owner, a better church member, a better member of my community and my nation and this world, I give credit fully to you 
because you are great and you are mighty and you are glorious. And God, I'm going to lift all of my work to you for the rest of my life. Even if no one ever sees it and ever breaks the horizon, you'll see it, God. And you'll establish our plans and you'll lead our lives and we'll be your children. And I just described for you perfectly what heaven's going to be like, by the way. Just perfectly. Yeah. And I don't give credit for that. That description is what heaven's going to be like. We are going to be there and experiencing him. And we are going to be accomplishing things and doing things. And I'm just here to tell you this is what God means when he wants heaven on earth. He wants us to work out of the fruit that he's blessed in our lives. And that is why you are to be grateful for it. I love what we get to do. I love it because it's hard. I love it because it's not easy. The reason my wife is so special to me and we have sometimes, hardly ever, the tension we have is because there's no one in this room more important than her. And so there's no one that can bring more tension to my life than her. You just can't get away from it. If you want to be in a church community and it becomes important to you, there's going to be tension. If you want to give and support spiritually, financially, we need it in our church. It's going to cause tension. Ah, I planned on, it's going to cause tension. There's people in this room right now, and I never talk about money, but I'm going to just for 30 seconds. Jan, sign this perfectly. <laughs> Some of you, you've been, you've been waiting to give. I've, I've talked to a few of you. You've been waiting to give. Some of you have been waiting to serve. Some of you have been waiting even to pray. Some of you just, I had one lady tell me last service, let's see how it all turns out. <laughs> listen, listen, I'm only allowed to say this once, once a month, but it's a brand new month, so we get to start over. But this church needs to be filled with people who are committed to the work of God for his credit alone and his glory. And if you're if you're here in search and here in discovering, you're more than welcome. But if you've just sort of come here in order to do no work because it's a fairly established church, it's good sized, it's it's pretty easy to blend in. If you're here just to kind of freeload, I'm just here to tell you, we don't have any space for you. We we love you. But we only have so many parking spots down at the new building, and we need them filled. Yeah, we need them filled with people who are willing to serve and work and give and help. And then one day, when their lives are poured out, like mine will be, give the whole thing away to the next generation that saw that we were different, that we were willing to praise God with his greatness, because of his greatness, because of who he is. I love that we get to do this. I think sometimes it's really hard. I want to show you a video before we transition into a time of reflection. There's a, one of my favorite people that, that really authentically came to God with how hard it is to follow him sometimes is Job. And Job went to God and just complained deeply about all the different things. He complained about the way God was treating him and about the way God was working. Job 23 says, Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where to find, that I might find him. Oh, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Verse 8, behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. And this is the verse that I want you to, to, to really reflect on. He says, on the left hand when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, 
but I do not see him. And Job is proclaiming the same thing all the rest of us are. No matter how hard we work, sometimes it just feels like God's not listening and that he's not working and that he's not showing up. And so Job, for all of humanity, cries out and says, God, no matter what I do, I just want to know you're there. And he finds himself in this beautiful place. And then for four chapters, God responds. Four chapters, God responds to this miserable man's suffering. We created a video around that response. I'd like to play it over you now as you reflect on how God is working in your heart and how you need to respond to his workings and to what he's called you to do and be. Please watch, and then we'll worship together, proclaim his greatness. I said, God, I do not understand this world. Everything is dying and broken. Why do I see nothing but suffering? God, I'm asking, could this be your plan? Sin has taken hold of this whole land. Will you not say anything else to me? He said, where were you the day that I measured? Sunk the base and stretched the line over All the earth and carved out its cornerstone Where were you the day that I spoke and Told the sun to split the night open Called the morning dawn with its light to show Shut in the ocean with stone doors Marked the reach of tides on those new shores On the day the waves rose and first broke forth Have you seen the springs of that great sea?
too wonderful for me Although I had no right to ask My God knelt and answered me 